Uh, hello, welcome to From the Rookery End, free life on Watford fans, season ticket holders in Rookery End, uh, and as always, our podcast, our take on life as a Watford fan. Uh, my name is John, with me is Mike. Hi. And uh, Jason. Hello. Uh, we've just come out of our Watford nil, Chelsea nil. Coming out in this podcast, we are going to uh, speak to Dave Messenger, uh, the sporter liaison officer at the club, about his job and how that helps people like you and me as uh, football fans. Uh, plus, we'll have a chat about the, uh, the, the transfer window uh, with uh, WD Sports editor uh, Kevin Affleck. But as we've just come out of the Watford nil, Chelsea nil, it was a draw, but it was a, it was a blooming good game of football, Jason. It was. I mean, they say the table never lies, but Chelsea are still a, a good side with quality players. And they're, after a difficult season, they're sort of starting to find their feet. They're unbeaten under Gus Hiddink. We've played them twice under Gus Hiddink, and we're unbeaten against them. <laughs> See, I don't like that thing with Bruxelles. They're unbeaten in so many games. How many draws did they have? Well, they haven't. apparently they haven't won two games on a trot this season. Um, and, they, and had they won tonight, that would have broken that duck, but they still yeah, remain unable to put a string of wins together. OK, uh, Mike, what did you think about, uh, about Watford? Well, what, the new Watford going up against the, uh, this, this, this Chelsea team? Arlo, my, my little boy, he used to think the song was Aurelio Gomez saved it. Aurelio <laughs> Gomez. Oh. But he did. And, and I think he really did. He, that was the standout moment, I think, for me, was a couple of excellent saves from, from Gomez. Uh, Looked look really solid today and uh, yeah, kept us in the game. But I think that was, that was a magnificent point for Watford, I think. That was, like Jason said, there's quality all over the place for Chelsea. And I think Watford had a really, really good 15, 20 minute spell in the, in the first half where I thought we could be on for something here. But that quit that sort of that that ebbed away really and I think Chelsea sort of took ownership of the game if you like. We didn't really create create masses of chances. So it was a it was a different game. Watford had to really say switched on, work incredibly hard to either snatch a, a winner or, or to what looked more likely was to, to hang on for a draw. And I'm I'm really, really pleased they, they did. Britos was missing and I think um, for the first time, we, we we missed him in terms of Prudel didn't look like the, the seamless um, replacement that we that we hoped he might have been and has been to, to give him his due previously. So I think we missed him a little bit, but really really pleased just to get a, a, a point and, and again to play a part in a, what was a really entertaining football match and to come away not disappointed but thinking all right we've taken we've come out come away from the season unbeaten against Chelsea. Take that all day long. Absolutely. Um, sort of standout players for me from the Watford side of it. Gomez, who you know feels like he's he, he scored his tenth goal of the of the well, season yeah, no, in terms of a goalkeeper. Yeah. Um, uh, was uh, yeah, we, we talked about in the last podcast all the players that came in due to the FA Cup, but but uh, Holabas coming in because uh, Aki well. Maybe he earned it, but Aki uh, not being able to uh, play, not eligible to play. I sort of prefer Hollebass, Jason. Oh, dude, that's a, that's interesting. I think I still prefer Aki, but I think what well, we saw from both fullbacks tonight, because I think Paredes had a, a decent mm, yeah, go yeah. as well uh, for the 70 minutes or so that he played. I think we started, they sort of started a bit cautious, and we didn't see them get down the line really until probably 15, 20 minutes into the game. In fact, I think. Watford as a whole, again, we've talked about this before, they, they start slowly. Um, I think it took a couple of tricky runs from Gerardo to wake us up. And then we started seeing Holabas and, and uh, Paredes start to push forward, start to attack. Uh, and yeah, I'm with you, Holabas, I thought, had a decent game. In terms of other players, I thought stood out. Barami and Watson, I thought, both looked good. Barami, back to that engine all over the pitch, making some great tackles when we, when we needed him to make them. Um, yeah, Do you reckon Barami was a, um, a tactical playing him against this Chelsea team? Uh, I think so. I think we we sort of, we look now we've got Gerardo playing in his best position. 
we he sort of altered that midfield slightly. So now we're looking at a sort of a four-three-one-two formation, aren't we? Uh, and that probably that enables you to play Kapu and Barami off the start of the season and leave Watson in the side, who has been brilliant uh, since he's come into the side. So it lets you play all three players in that setup. Yeah, um, what I loved about it was the hassling Watford at every moment. You know, that's just. It, it's, it, the players who sort of encompass that are Watson and uh, and Igalo up front. Yeah. But that was that that twenty minutes, the first half. It, you know, that the moments of it, it, we could easily win this game. Yeah, I think we saw both sides of of Watford today. The, the two positive sides of Watford in that game, which is which is why I think I'm so enthused. We saw that that twenty minute spell when Gerardo was really running things through through the middle there, and Igalo was feeding off that as well. And you can see the sort of confidence coursing through his veins. You thought this could be Igalo's night. He, he really looked on it for twenty minutes there. And then when that sort of that passage of play sort of faded away to a, to a degree, we saw that, like you say, that scrappy, battling, tough, hard as nails Watford side. Cathcart, I thought, back to his back to his best in the in the centre. Um, and you mentioned you mentioned Holobas. What I like about him is Aki, of course, gets forward, but the way Holobas gets forward, it's so direct. And he, he asks the question of the defence and he lets them worry about it, which we talked about at Anya in the last in the last podcast about whether he delivers quite enough when he goes forward. Do it with purpose, and you can see it. You, you put the you, you put fear into the into defenders, and they have to make a decision. And a couple of times they made the decision, put it out, and we we were on the front foot. Which is, I think, I really hope Holobas has got a, got a future here, and I think it, it's positive that he, he came in and, and performed so well. Um, would you put would you uh, push him forward and play Aki behind him? No, I think it's one or the other with those guys. Um, but yeah, so the, what the one mild disappointment. Would be, I think. I know you haven't asked me about disappointments, but I'm going to tell you about him anyway because <laughs> I'm so Mike. Yeah, exactly. I need to keep my feet on the ground. <laughs> so Kapu wasn't quite at the races, and um, I just he didn't when he first those first sort of two or three months. His energy, his legs seemed to go on for for three or four miles. He was he was reading everything. He was breaking stuff up. He was just not. It just seems a little bit off the pace to me. Is it, is it because he's not had the same rest that's been afforded to Berami with the with the injury and the sort of ease into the season that Watson said because he's played pretty much all the games uh, also um, Neom you know he's certainly drifting off a little bit at this point and your gut feeling is yeah it's a little bit of a wear and tear and uh, and, and, and tired legs what I'd say about Neom though what a great player to come on at right back to to settle the ship you know to when you need a you know a rangy strong powerful defender who's going to give you you know, he's, you're not worried when he comes on. Much as we said when Pantilimon started ahead of Gomez, what a great player to come on, and you know what you're going to get. And he and he performed well. He he had a couple of he, everyone had a bad game, I think, against Southampton, and then a bit of it carried into Swansea. And, and Neon was no exception, but great for him to come on. But for Paredes, I think it's we have to say he did really, really well. Really yeah, he, well. So he, he missed certain way, his weight of passes wasn't always quite right and there's a couple of bits in, in the way you were playing football there was a lot of tackles going on for both Watford and, and Chelsea today which was just a little touch a little foot to the ball and it would go off and they would have you know if that foot hadn't been there they might have been through if that foot hadn't been there Igalo might have been through Terry's so, hand hadn't been there <laughs> Chelsea had to work hard to, to, to rattle that up a bit to, to mix it up to make it difficult for us I think that is one of the most positive performances from Watford just because of the, the variety just because of what we had to do to, to earn that point that is one of the most hard fought points that we, we've seen us take this season so yeah really 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 good uh, there's going to be uh, some more hard fighting for points uh, next couple of games uh, Tottenham away well, what do you want from that game you know, we, we, not, we said that last game against Tottenham felt like not didn't feel like it was stolen from us but we weren't at our maximum after sending off and we could have done and 
you know, what do you want from that game, Jason? Uh, to come out without embarrassing ourselves, I think this is the toughest game in this run at the moment. Tottenham are absolutely flying at the moment. I think they've only lost a couple of games all season. White Hart Lane's a very difficult place to, to go. Look at Deli Ali, he's, he's come on leaps and bounds this season for them. Harry Kane still scoring goals. If we come out with a draw, I think it'll be an even better result than the one tonight. Part, part of me thinks, though, we might be in with more of a chance of, of nicking something against a team like Tottenham as opposed to as opposed to a team like Chelsea. And I'm really positive after that. It's really ridiculous. I'm high on a point. But um, <laughs> so, there's something about it that it just feels it just feels like it'll be a more open game. And obviously, part of that is the is the attacking threat that, that Tottenham pose. And we're I think we're in for a in for a very very tricky afternoon. But Watford are cute. Watford. Watford know how to play those games and, and Flores will understand the, the threat that Tottenham pose and we'll set up accordingly and, and see what we can do. It's good. I do think that we have a, a Willian tonight I thought was just brilliant and you look at him and you think that is a Premier League player at the top of his game and then you see a couple of, a couple of bits from Watford players where they, they need that extra split second to bring the ball down or they didn't anticipate someone coming in from around the back and... That, that's possibly where we fall down. There's not, I'm not going to say championship elements, but yeah. sort of mid to lower, mid, mid to lower table Premier Leagueness yeah. about about some of the play, which I think might be exposed on Tottenham, and that that's probably where we might fall down. The little, you know, the, the minutiae, the little, the little mistakes, the little giving the ball away unnecessarily that might not seem important because you're in your own half, but boom, before you know it, it's in the back of the net. Deli Ali stuck it in from a mile away, or Harry Kane's gone in off his hooter. Uh, right, so uh, the rest of this podcast uh, is going to be a, a couple of interviews. First up, uh, Mike and I, um, This we're going to do a bit time machine now, Mike. We're going to go back to before the game, uh, where you and I uh, had a chat about the closing of the transfer window, followed by a chat with uh, Kevin Affleck from WD Sport. Hi, I'm Ketchi and you're listening to from the Korean. The transfer window slammed shut. I love that, Sky Sports, fantastic. Uh, on uh, Monday... I'm surprised they let us use this microphone, actually. It's bright yellow, very, yeah, transfer window testing. Isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> this microphone's getting us in all trouble recently. Yeah. Um, now, tell us, uh, tell me, what did you think of that last day? Exciting. I listened back, listened back to, uh, to our podcast that we recorded on the way back from Forest, and we kind of thought that if Suarez was done, that would be our business uh, over, and, uh, over and done with, but it turned out not to be the case at all. Yeah. Um, uh, Takure, who was someone we were interested in over the summer, resurfaced sort of in the last couple of days of the, of the window and then it sort of became apparent quite early on transfer deadline day that that deal was probably going to happen. Uh, Adam Leventhal was there and got very excited, did a very good job. Uh, got very, very cold as yes, well. Yes, he did. Yeah, yeah, he did. Bless him. But he did a good job. Um, so Takura came in straight out on loan, record signing apparently, which obviously a few people were scratching their head as to splash a load of cash and then send him out on loan again. And then word came through that there was going to be another signing. I'm not really late on. Yeah, really. And that, that, what I loved most, that felt like it was out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. We felt like for the first time in ages we were part of transfer deadline day. On ironically, what was a re- was the deadest? Really, it's run out of steam, hasn't it? As a as a thing, I think Sky Sports are going to have to to rethink how they approach it next year because there just isn't that much that happens on it. But for us, it was it genuinely was was quite exciting as it announced the uh, the little fella from Venezuela. Udinese player at the time on loan at Granada we signed came apparent very very quickly I hadn't heard of him I'll be perfectly honest 
uh, became very apparent very quickly that he's very well thought of in footballing circles. Um, one uh, tweet that I picked up was Gillian Balagay. He was he was on it like a tramp on hot chips, saying how uh, you know what an exciting signing it was. But again, he's gone out on loan uh, as well. So that was. Very, very exciting, very interesting, and then um, fascinating that they both went out on loan again. Uh, the great thing about them going out on loan is it just shows how forward-thinking and how strategic and how planned these transfers were. They weren't, we're not scrabbling around for players that need to come into the club, come into the team to make an immediate impact. These are, you know, one's an 18-year-old and one's, I think, Ducouré's 20, 23, something yeah. like that, and he's gone out to, to, to Granada to play football. We can keep an eye on him, he can get up to speed, and he doesn't necessarily disrupt our, our squad because I think Kike is pretty happy. He brought Amrabat in, um, who's, who's solved the striking issue. And so we can watch him progress. Um, and it's just, it just shows how forward-thinking. It's just a great... And a lot, of, a lot of fans scratch their heads. And I understand Because well, it's different. I've, I've never, yeah. ne you've never heard of it before in football. The, the boot's on the other foot, isn't it? We've had so many, you know, um, what's his name? Uh, Miguel Laoun was signed by Granada and then was immediately loaned out to us. So that Granada fans scratched their heads and were a bit upset about that. The, the boot's now on the other foot. But I think it makes perfect, perfect sense. And it just, it's just forward. I said, a, I said a tweet. We Under Bassini, we were having to endure forward funding. Now it's forward planning. And what a great place to be. Uh, so we're going to catch up with uh, Kevin Affleck from W Sport uh, to sort of get his take on the transfer window because he certainly sees it differently to us. So the transfer window has shut and we know uh, Gino, Scott Duxbury and perhaps Kike have been very busy but there's another group of people who have been busy as well and that's the press and we're lucky to be joined by Kevin Affleck, the brains and brawn behind WD Sport. Kevin, how are you? Very well, thank you. More the brawn, I think, than brains. Okay, you said it. And uh, how was it for you? It was crazy. Um, on Monday of all days, I decided to buy a car for some stupid reason. So I went down to Portsmouth at left at quarter to five in the morning, was back by quarter, to, quarter past eight, and then transfer deadline day started. The, the missus had the yellow tie pressed, so I was um, all ready to go. It was, um, it was absolutely manic, and just when I thought Watford were done, I think I was all, all storied out. I don't think I could write another word. They went and signed um, the lad from uh, Granada, Penaranda. So, yeah, it, it never stopped. One of, the, one of the stories that possibly didn't come as a surprise, Penandra did, but, but Mario Suarez was a story that you'd covered. Has he signed, has he? <laughs> apparently so, apparently so. Um, that was something you'd covered quite in depth and for, for a number of days. Talk to us just a little bit about how that story sort of developed and, and how you covered it. Yeah, it was one that uh, we were aware of fairly early on. Um, I'd, like to think we, I'd like to think we owned the story, which I think is, is important in journalism. You get a story and you just run with it and run with it and run with it. We spoke to his agent must have been two or three weeks ago now and the deal was dead um, he was after a five-year contract and then he ended up getting a four and a half year one so the, the deal was dead over six months which I don't quite understand um, I think it might have been about the Tuesday we got a call saying they'd beaten Gary Neville there was a real triumphant nature to the celebration basically saying have that Gary Neville he's coming to Watford um, which I found quite funny Watford are beating Valencia to players we reported that he'd flow, flown in on a jet which shows just how far Watford had come. He was staying at Hope Hertfordshire Hotel, which the lovely Mrs. Suarez has now revealed it was the Grove. Um, and then it was just a waiting game, really. We were putting in call after call, text after text, to the extent where we were annoying our source, really. We were becoming a bit of a wasp, but that's just what we do, and I'm inquisitive by nature. What we're interested in finding out is, is the anatomy of, of the story, I guess. And, and you mentioned you spoke to his, his agent, 
what are the sort of people, and I don't expect you to name names or, or job titles, but what other sort of people are you talking to? Not necessarily about the Suarez transfer, but, but during the window, what sort of people are you talking to and putting calls into? Yeah, it's difficult really, because as you well know, journalists would rather go to prison than reveal their sources. Um, it's fairly, fairly senior people at the club, people in and around the deals. It's agents, you speak to everybody. Agents, people at the training ground, people close to the deal, people around the deal. There's so many people make up a deal these days that the information invariably leaks out somewhere. And if it doesn't leak out of Watford, invariably it leaks out the Italian or the, or the Spanish end. I think one of the things that, that you at WD Sport have done very well is the way that you cover um, Watford. It feels very much of the moment. You understand social media and your use of that. Do you think, though, in some ways that, that there's sort of almost the preponderance of information and misinformation that's, that's around there through social media makes your life harder as, as a journalist? Possibly. I think social media in this 140 character age we live in almost means journalists are under scrutiny. You find some sad individuals go back through your tweets from 2014 and say, well, you said this then, and, and you're very much under scrutiny. But I'll always put my head above the parapet and I like to seek and try and find out the news first and invariably sometimes due to the delays with the Italian FA it can make you look foolish but I was always confident the deal was going to happen and I was given this information the information said Kevin it's going to be announced today so I'm sure fans would rather me relay that than sit on it just like let's say for example I was told the Dyer's contract had been cancelled do people rather you sit on that or relay it I think it's even been officially announced by the club yet so there's always that fine balance, as I've said, always, said all along. We won't always get it right, but we'll have a damn good go at, at, at trying. And it, it's kind of common, common knowledge these days that, that the players themselves are very well media trained and there's press officers and so on and so forth and there's a bit of a, a steel curtain, if you like, about the real nuggety information. Is that A, frustrating or is it B, more exciting when you, when you get the story and you get it right? Oh, I take huge satisfaction when you get the story right, but that's what I'm supposed to do. Um, that's what I'm in the game for, to bring fans the news. And I'd like to think I do a pretty damn good job at it. Um, as I said, I won't always get it right, but I'll have a go. On, on, the, on the subject of fans, uh, players being media trained, they invariably are. But there comes a point when they want to tell you something. They'll be out of the team or they've got to be for the manager. So uh, eventually they'll always talk. It's down to your skill at building that relationship with these people. And that's what I believe one of my skills has been, is building relationship with these people. Yes, I had a history with uh, Watford Football Club, uh, 2006, 2007, 2008, history in terms of building relationships. None of those people are really there anymore. So in six months, I've had to build a new lot of contacts and they're, um, and they're delivering the goods. They like what we're doing. And you're going to get the odd complaint from fans. I'm sure you guys get the complaints, but we've not had one single complaint from the club on our coverage because they know we're providing accurate information which is which is what we're about really we want to provide accurate insightful information to the fans so the transfer window's over you can take a bit of a bit of a deep breath and concentrate on the football now what's next for for wd uh, wd sport well we're working very very hard on uh, the print version um, we wanted to launch it this month um, still working on page plan page, page designs i think it's just important when we do launch we get it right you only launch once we want to get the price point right we want to get the pagination right, we want to get the content right, we want to get the balance between digital first and saving stuff for the newspaper. Not an easy balance, but I believe we've got it right and we've got a hell of a basis to build from so far, given the relative success of our uh, internet offering so far. And you watch a lot of football, Kevin. You, you know a lot about Watford. Where are we going to finish? How's the rest of the season going to pan out, in your opinion? Not necessarily with your journalistic hat on as a, as a, as a Watford sort of watcher and fan. 
Uh, I just think it's hugely, hugely exciting times. I got a message from a source very senior at the club when they signed Penaranda and Suarez and said, this is just the start. Now, if that doesn't get anybody excited, I, I don't know what will. Um, I think they'll go big, big in the summer again. And I think all the signings will be done, possibly first day of the window. Certainly, they'll all be in by the first day of pre-season. So, Kike can embed them in. I think the sky's the limit for this team at the minute. You've seen what Leicester have done. Watford go again in the summer. Why not push for the Europa League next season? I think it's, it's pinch yourself stuff this time for the club. And I think it's heady, heady times. Another man who we will, he's a friend of the podcast, Dave Messenger, former co-host. He's a, he's a friend of every Watford fan. <laughs> he is the, uh, yeah, he's been, he's been on the podcast a long time. Most Watford fans will know who he is. He's the uh, supporter liaison manager. It's a Premier League post. Yeah, interesting to find out all about it. Uh, former fanzine writer uh, here, a, a true Watford fan for many, many years. Well, before the game, met up with Dave uh, to find a bit more about his job uh, and how it is going to help uh, you and me and every Watford fan out there, uh, wherever they are in the world. Uh, Steve, we've never had a supporter liaison officer before. So now new thing with the Premier League, and now we've got one. It's you. Yes. How did the job come about? Essentially, the uh, it's a Premier League requirement for every club to have a supporter liaison officer. Um, and what they don't do is they don't the Premier League don't stipulate exactly what that person does. They just say every club must have a supporter liaison officer. Well, what do you do? So. We've, made, we've pretty much been able to define the role ourselves. So I think for me and for Watford, what it is for us is having me as a conduit between the supporters and the club. So it's a two-way information exchange almost, if you like. I like getting feedback from supporters about things that we're doing well, things that we're not doing so well, suggestions that they might have, which I can then bring to the club. They can help formulate policy. So an important area, obviously, that we're quite keen to look at at the moment with the end of season approaching is ticketing for next season. So do we continue with the policy we've had this season? Do we change it? Do we tweak it? So just trying to get bits of feedback about that at the moment. And it's just essentially exactly that piece of having someone that the supporters can come to to share information with and the club can go use me as a conduit out to supporters as well. In the six months you've been doing it now? Is it, is, it more, is it more fans to you or you to fans, you think? I think it's been more fans to me initially. Um, I think I've done a few bits and pieces to, to try and go and engage with supporters. We set up a supporters speak forum at the start of the season in September. Uh, we're about to have the third meeting of that group and that's been extremely productive as they came up with a number of suggestions between them, some of which we've already actually implemented. Um, what, like what? So, um, I mean, one of the main things that we've done on there, one of the things that they come up with is selling more season tickets. They suggested that might help us to fill some of the gaps in the seat in the stands, something that we were thinking about already, but having them suggest it as well, give us an extra green light to go ahead and do it. Um, a few different bits and pieces around the stadium to do with catering and those sorts of things. But, yeah, they're, they're a really good forum and a really good group. And then, obviously, all the regional supporters groups have been spending a lot of time getting to know those guys, making them... The thing with the regional supporters, obviously, they're quite stuck away from Watford sometimes not always easy for them to keep on top of what's happening so forming links with those guys and bringing it and trying to bring them uh, make them feel like they're part of the fold and part of decision making as well so I've spent time with the City Horns I've spent time with the East Anglia Hornets I've been to see the Norfolk Hornets I've uh, chatted to the Northwest Hornets so that's another big part of the role is making sure that all those groups are kept in the loop of what we're trying to achieve uh, not sure where I don't know if you need to go meet them but uh, we got contact the day from the West Coast Hornets West Coast you know America yeah, yeah. can you do a trip out there with that, with that do yeah, you yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll see what I can do on that one um, getting out there might not be the easiest thing in the world but well, yeah, we are, yeah I'm game I'll, I'll 
I'll, I'll have a go. <laughs> um, there, I think there's like different levels of supporters. There's ones that go to every single game. There's ones that come to all the home games. There's then those that sort of come sporadically. Um, who do you reckon you have the biggest dealings with? I think the rank. What it tends to be, I think the the, the regular home supporters, the guys that come here every single week. They tend to know what they're doing and they tend to know where they are. And those guys don't, we don't tend to have very much interaction from them at all. They know, you know, they're on top of all the media and the information that's coming out of the club. There's no real need to speak to them very much. But those guys, you tend to get the more detailed queries about from about ticket policies and such like. So it, it very much varies. I'd say the group I've had the most to deal with really has been the exiled supporters. And again, that's those supporters in the regional groups and the ones far flung. Christmas and New Year was extremely entertaining time with uh, people coming back from Australia and far flung places to see their families at Christmas. And oh, I'm a massive Watford fan and I want a ticket for the game on uh, Bo- uh, Christmas. What's the game? Oh, it's Tottenham at home, one of the biggest demand games of the season. So it's a real job trying to ascertain whether people were real Watford supporters and you can do that you can ask questions when was your first game and yeah. you know you can tell and when once you get speaking yeah, that James Barnes wasn't yeah, he a good yeah, player yeah, yeah yeah exactly James Barnes what a player what a player what a player yeah um no you, you can you can do that pretty easily and one one guy um if he, I hope he listens actually I'm going to mention him by name because I think he might listen to the podcast Jim Rendell over in New Zealand Jim sent me a picture of his FA Cup 1984 <laughs> bottle of Benskin's beer which he's got in his cabinet at the side and which he puts next to his laptop screen when he watches a feed of every game on a Saturday <laughs> afternoon with his Watford scarf in front of it as well once he sent me a picture of that I'm kind of yeah he's genuine yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah. We'll, get, we'll get him a ticket but I think one of the things we've done when we did the ticket policy is we didn't want those guys to be completely excluded as well so we keep a small number of tickets back for every game outside of the home policy for people that are stuck in far-flung places so again I've had quite a lot of dealings with those guys getting in touch to say how do I go about getting a ticket and again once we've been able to ascertain their genuine Watford supporters and they're not visiting team supporters on the on the make then we're quite happy to um, help them out with a few tickets now we've met a few fans like doing this podcast and like the Denver Hornet sometimes they know they're coming over yeah it might, what lots of time in advance and sometimes they go no I've got an opportunity I'm off or I've also got some business over yeah. I've got to be here so it must be hard to sort of cater for them do you reckon the new the expansion will help of the ground I think so yeah I mean we're standing right outside the back of the northeast corner now which is all coming together very nicely um, with the seats there um, there's a new wheelchair platform at the back of those seats which I'm actually quite excited about that opening up as well because that's something we've been speaking to the Disabled Sports Association or I've been speaking to them quite a lot this season about how we can improve accessibility to the stadium. So we're really excited about having extra wheelchair spaces because at the moment you've got the guys over in the lower Graham Taylor stand and the rest of the wheelchair spaces are in front of the rookery. So we've got regular supporters that don't actually like sitting at the front of the rookery in their wheelchairs to watch the game. So can't wait to have some of those guys move up into this corner and take in a new view. So little bits like that, expansion of the stadiums, going to be a key thing for us moving forward Um, and it's it's just exciting time to be involved and to see all these different things that are happening Um, You're also in charge of uh, a bunch of green men around us at the moment here uh, on the corner of Vicarage Road and Occupation Road Uh, the Vicarage Roadies Yes. Um, uh, What are they, they, I've seen them and I've been sat here, uh, stood here uh, waiting for you to turn up and they you can just (laughs) see that they were approaching fans, asking them um, definitely a few foreign fans Mm -hmm. who they were were sort of talking with um, are they there just to to help people on their match day? Yeah, again it's another of these these Premier League initiatives but something that Watford were thinking about before I came on board and when, one of my first role, um, tasks actually was to get the group up and running. And what they're here for, the Vicarage Raiders, is essentially a meet and greet team. The idea stems from the Games Makers for the Olympics mm. in 2012. And obviously everybody uh, felt what a, what a really great thing that was to have people in 
purple gear I think they were in, showing people how to get to stadiums outside the tube stations and such like. And I think football's cottoned on to that. A lot of the bigger clubs have got this sort of meet and greet operation. And it's just something we decided we wanted to put in place. So we've got 15 guys and girls, all of whom are Watford fans, mixture of season ticket holders and non-season ticket holders, which is great as well. And essentially that is what they're here for. They're here to help and meet and greet people. I think for home fans, again, going back to what I was saying before, your average home fan that comes every week doesn't need any help to know exactly where they're going and they bowl straight past these guys. Yeah. But where these guys come into play is way fans especially, um, visitors that maybe haven't been for a little while. And what we ask them to do, as you've seen, is go and actually press the flesh and go and speak yeah. to people and just say hello and make people feel welcome. It's all part of the way Watford and the Premier League wants to encourage um, supporters and, and make supporters feel a real part of the club. So again, they're just, they're just an additional resource. They've, they've been absolutely brilliant. They've got us out of some real jams at times these seasons as well, uh, when there's been bits and pieces going on outside the stadium. So we're really pleased with them. And what I would say to your listeners is just stop and say hello to them. You don't need to have a reason to stop and say hello. Stop and say hello. They'll have a chat. They're there, they're there to be positive and to meet and greet and say hello. So, you know, if they come up to you, don't push past them, say hello, shake their hand, give them a hug, whatever. Just, uh, yeah, enjoy their enjoy their company they're a, good, they're a great bunch of people okay uh, we're going to try and grab one of them what's your name Christian okay Christian um, when you've been, you been outside um, Vicarage Road this year uh, what, what, what normally happens normally happens you just get a lot of as we're on the corner a lot of away fans coming towards us looking both ways wondering which way to go so we kind of help them say where would you want to go sometimes they might want to go to the hospitality entrance some people to the media we just help them okay. into the right place uh, what's the like, so maybe not the the weirdest or the most interesting thing you've been asked so far? Do you reckon? Well, someone from a podcast actually grabbed me for a second and said, "And said, what if you could be any Premier League footballer, uh, like in bed? What would you? Who would you be?" And the only said? time I've been left, Agbonlahor, because he can't score. <laughs> <laughs> um, but generally, is, you know, have you? Have you? Is always in a good good reaction to, to yeah, you guys? It's good. All the way fans are very very surprised really when they come to see us they're very happy with again what we do that we're a happy face to come and greet them and that we're something a bit different than from the stewards and, and how, how long are you here for when you know i i always see you when i, when I walk past but how long are you guys around for well, we arrive so we get here two and a half hours before the before the match we have our briefing and then we're out here on a match day on a saturday we're here from one o'clock and again we get any fans come in newcastle coach the other day for example was here before we got here so we're able to help the fans once they once they arrive uh, let's grab, grab this one. Um, I just had one person who turned up with a suitcase asking if they could take it into the stand, but um, obviously with the security reasons we can't, so he had to uh, find elsewhere to put it. But that was probably the most obscure thing. How about you, Steve? Uh, my most fun one was I had the, uh, the chairman of Liverpool Football Club. His driver had dropped him off at the wrong entrance and he'd taken a bit of stick from the Liverpool supporters getting through and he refused to walk back. So... <laughs> So you put I, a blanket over his head or something? Oh, it was fantastic. So I had to walk him into the rookery. He actually refused to walk through the concourse of the rookery. So I had to take him around the uh, perimeter of the pitch and up through the back of the uh, 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 Grand Taylor stand to get him up to the uh, hospitality. But that, that was hilarious. I like that one. Wouldn't walk through his own supporters. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Thank you. Yeah, you're fine. Uh, so Dave, before you, before you go, and you're busy... Um, um, pre-match um, if uh, any fan listening from anywhere in the world wants to get in touch with you uh, for some liaising uh, how do they get in touch and the easiest way is just drop me an email at the club dave.messenger at watfordfc.com 
um, I'm happy to get inquiries, suggestions and comments from, from, from any supporters. So, yeah, that's the easiest way. Just drop, just drop me an email. Apparently, Dave, you're going to do a bit of walking. I am, yeah. Yeah, I do enough walking on a match day. I think I'm about to about 20,000 steps around the stadium now on each uh, pretty much an average home match days. But, um, yeah, no, I'm doing a, uh, the Men United, Jeff Stelling's Men United march for prostate cancer at the uh, end of March, 29th of March. Yeah. So Jeff Stelling's doing 10 marathons in 10 days, walking them. Um, and uh, each leg of the journey is from a football ground to a football ground. So leg nine is uh, <coughs> Luton Town to Watford. Um, and Jeff's people have been in touch with the club and asked if anybody, like, if the club could help support it. And I thought, actually, do you know what? Fancy, fancy actually doing it. So uh, yeah, the training has started. 27 miles to walk. Um, it's uh, a heck of an undertaking. Enjoying it actually, enjoying the training. It's getting me a bit fit, but um, yeah. yeah, no, it's good. And if anybody was interested in looking at the page for that, then it's uh, justgiving.com forward slash David dash messenger one. Thanks for listening uh, to another From the Rooker End. That's three in ten days. Ooh, Jason, this is heady times for us. It is, isn't it? Isn't it exciting? And uh, if you're still listening, which I hope you are, <laughs> then uh, you must be enjoying it too. Yeah. Uh, we're going to try and do these, well, uh, we're doing one a week. We're going to try and see. We're not going to do it just for the sake of it. We're not going to do it if there's nothing to talk about. But we're going to see if we can do it for the next couple of weeks. And uh, so we'll hope be back midweek next week after the Tottenham Hotspur game uh, get in touch Instagram at Watford Podcast Twitter at Watford Podcast Facebook just search from the Rooker End are we going to keep the Snapchat up Mike? I reckon we'll give it a go oh, Jason hasn't been in one yet no let I'm us know Snapchat yes or no make your mind up after I've been in one <laughs> and uh, if you do want to find other ways to listen to this podcast uh, or tell your friends if they say I've got an iPhone what, how do I listen to From the Rooker End well go to fromtherookerend.com forward slash listen burn it onto a CD listen to it on your hi-fi <laughs> I might put it on cassette yeah, well brilliant uh, thanks a lot for listening uh, we'll be back very soon come on you on it yellows yellows a podcast made by Watford fans, fans for Watford fans from the Rookery End